This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport fan network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top tier lineup of food right to your door. What will you choose? No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Real EFL League One podcast, the podcast where we take a look at all the wonderful action that England's third tier has to offer each weekend. It's Gary, Chris and myself back this week to review all the action and what a weekend it was with some incredibly surprising results, some huge talking points and perhaps one of the most fascinating acts of coincidence that we've ever witnessed in our many years combined following the sport. I'm Adam Scully, and I hope you all enjoyed the following episode. If you do, please leave a five-star rating on the podcast platform of your choice. We've seen an upturn in new ratings, so it would be much appreciated if you could drop us a nice little rating to help us grow, especially if your team won this weekend, and even if they didn't do it anyway, it's not my fault. Now, without further ado, let's get into the action, and of course, I won't be on my own to delve through all the weekend's events. I'm joined today by the founder of The Real EFL. Two weeks ago, I used the 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 adjective wonderful i have written down gary marvelous magnificent and beardy gary hutchinson how are we which one do you prefer uh, i think you said beardy at the end there so i'll take that being a, a, a humble man but uh, no it's nice to be along looking forward to picking over the action we've got some good games to go over and i'm also joined by chris lamming who i suppose i can also describe as beardy i feel like i have some sort of boyish matteo darmian kind of fauna growing on my face but chris a very well-groomed man how are you i'm very well thank you i was going to go for magnificent though if that was still an option (laughs) (laughs) i love it we'll jump straight into the action though and we'll start with one of the most surprising results of the weekend and i don't say surprising because this team exactly won a game of football they've been on incredible form more so the fact that the hosts had a Phenomenal record this season so far, and then they ended up losing 4-0. I am, of course, talking about Baltimore Wanderers nil, Wigan Athletic War. Wigan have picked up more points than any other team this season. They have now gone into a, a positive for points. They have plus two. They clawed back a minus eight deficit. They are still seven points off the top, of course, which is Cambridge United, surprisingly. Wigan have had an incredible start to the season. Chris, talk to me about this game and why... 
why they were so good because the last time we spoke they had beaten Derby County they were pretty they were really good against Derby but it I don't want to call it a snatching you know a bit of a a clutch game they had a couple a couple of 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 goals two goals they scored were a bit poor defending I should say from Derby but this wasn't a fluke four nil against Bolton Wanderers a good a very good Bolton Wanderers side at that talk to me about what happened in this game. Yeah, well, Bolton were missing Dion Charles after his red card on Tuesday night. So, so I think that definitely had a part to play, or at least on paper it did. Um, it's interesting noting the XG for this game because Bolton's XG was 3.87 and didn't didn't register a single goal. And Wigan was 1.63. But Wigan were incredibly clinical and they took their chances when they came and they forced errors um, in, in the Bolton back line. Callum Lang involved in both. Um, the first goal, an in-swinging corner, evades... Almost everybody. And apart from Charlie White, who heads home to make it 1-0. Second goal, high ball contested on the right flank in Bolton's third. I think it came off a Bolton player, which kind of inadvertently acted as a really good through ball for, for Callum Lang. Gets a shot away, parried away, followed in by Humphreys. And then at halftime, it's 3-0. So three big opportunities for, for Wigan in the first half. 3-0 down at halftime for Bolton. Um, and then you can kind of see game state for the rest of it. Bolton have to go forward, have to push and, and, and ask questions. And, and Wigan have just been outstanding without possession of the ball so far this season. Um, Derby, of course, comes to mind that they, they're incredibly well organised. Um, mm-hmm. And I think both you and I were, were on a kind of slightly different um, trains of thought in that opening game this season in that yours was more Derby maybe lack a little bit of cutting edge. And I think mm-hmm. myself was, was more about focusing on the strengths of Wigan's defensive and to be honest, I think both of the, both of those um, opinions are kind of correct, even still, and we'll probably get mm. onto that later. But yeah, Wigan just took their chances incredibly well, and yeah, they are. If they didn't start on minus eight, they'd be on plus ten points. They'd be top of the league at the moment, and they're just in really, really, really good shape. There's, they're only a point behind Charlton Athletic, and Charlton were a team I think all of us put in our top six this season. And of course, there's a very, very long way to go, but. To start on minus eight, you feel like you've got such a such a, a massive, a massive way to go to catch up, and they're only a point behind kind of a, a playoff chaser already. So they're just in a really, really good place, and I'm really impressed with Wigan so far. Gary Sean Maloney took over at the end of last season when the ship was kind of sinking anyway. But they've since lost some huge players. I mean, James McLean, Will Keane, of course, Jamie McGrath, etc. They've all left the club since. And now they're the most informed team in League One. No team. I mean, they picked up more points than any other side. Do you think uh, they're seven off now off the top? Do you think they can claw back that seven-point lead over the course of the next 40-odd games and, I suppose, game promotion, whether it be... Or I should say automatic promotion, because I'm sure they can... If they continue their excellent run of form, they can clinch a playoff spot. Do you think they're strong enough, though? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think when you look at that forward line, and we were just mentioning there, Callum Lang, Stephen Humphreys, Charlie White. You know, they're not just League One players, they're top-end League One players. I mean, Humphreys, I had a question mark over. I think he was at Rochdale. He was somebody that I kind of, I ummed and ahed as to whether whether he was actually going to make it. Uh, and he clearly did. You know, he's proven me wrong. Charlie White's got, you know, he doesn't have to prove anything to anybody. He's a goal scorer. Callum Lang is a phenomenal young player, I think, who's come through the ranks and has, and has proven himself. Um, and they've got quality across the pitch. And look, they've also got momentum behind them as well, because... I think when you've got supporters who are kind of buoyed by 
almost feeling like they were going out of business and now suddenly they're back on an even keel. You know, they've already roped in, they've already pulled in that points deficit. And with the greatest respect, seven points, uh, eight points, neither here nor there, not over 46 games. And people will have looked at Wigan at the beginning of the season and gone, well, they've got a points deduction. That will rule them out of top six. But absolutely not. Absolutely not. When the league is as tight as it is, um, if you've got a squad as strong as Wigan's, um, and Chris, Chris mm-hmm. you know, pointed out, strong defensively, they're good going forward. They've got every opportunity to make the to, to make the top six and, and challenge the top two. And just briefly on Bolton, by the way, um, Plymouth won the league last year. Plymouth's fourth game last year was a five-one defeat against Charlton Athletic. So I don't think there's a lot to worry about, by the way, for for Bolton fans. I have that written down in my notes, which is crazy. And that was what I was going to say next. And now you've taken that away from me. I had it lined up in my head that I was going to say, and now you've ruined it. But, but it, it is a wonderful stat, and it's actually something I saw yesterday. And I thought, well, it's a good talking point, but Gary got there first. I'll stick with you, Gary, though, because we'll move on now to, I don't know, again, not really a surprising result. Oxford United have been on incredible form recently. This, is, this was their third win in a row. They beat Barnsley. Barnsley started the season impeccably probably better than I mean better than any other side in the English Football League since 1961 statistically and then they 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 haven't won a game since and we'll get on to it one of my favorite stats of the weekend we'll get onto that later but Port Vale are actually above Barnsley now which is fascinating <laughs> Oxford United 3 Barnsley 1 Oxford United have beat Derby County in midweek at Pride Park which is a phenomenal result and then they go to Oakwell and they win 3-1 what a performance. Liam Manning's side really are starting to get a grip of, of the style he wants. And, and of course, he had that at MK Dons as well. They were playing incredibly, although they did miss out on promotion two seasons ago. Talk to me about this game then. Firstly, we'll start actually with Gary. We'll start with Barnsley because it's all just kind of not gone wrong, but it, it's, it's not been great since that opening game of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Um I th- I thought there was big question marks over Barnsley in pre-season and then they won 7-0 and everyone went, oh, they'll be okay, they'll be okay. Um, watching that game yesterday, I'm, I'm not 100% sure they will be okay. Um, their chances were predominantly from counter-attacks, they were predominantly from long balls, predominantly from set pieces. Um, okay, their XG was 1.43, so arguably they've slightly underperformed, whereas Oxford's was 1.99. Oxford should still have won on, on the balance of play. Um Obviously, they've not won since the opening day. They've got two back-to-back home defeats now, 3-1. I think they lost 3-1 in midweek and and 3-1 again. And Neil Collins um, came out after the game and said, I could have won the game. I'm I'm not sure about that. I think there's an element of delusion around that because actually Oxford United, a team that I tipped for promotion in a in a pilot podcast. Mm. I was I've been I've been behind Oxford ever since January, actually, when Carl Robinson, uh, just after Carl Robinson had gone, because I thought they've, they've got the right sort of players they just needed to to really click. Um, the first goal was a penalty, 100% a penalty. The second goal, I really liked Stanley Mills in this. He's on loan from Everton. thought he looked like a real handful. He kind of created the own goal. Um, and then Tyler Goodrum, who's come through the ranks there, capped it off in the end. You know, 3-1 maybe had a little bit of... A, put a little bit of gloss, but it was a deserved Oxford United win. This Oxford United team are here to stay. They're in the top six to stay for the rest of this season. They've they've shrugged off what I call the shroud of Carl Robinson, because I think Carl Robinson, Carl Robinson was restrictive at Oxford United. I think Liam Manning was mistreated at MK Dons. I think mm-hmm. that he was held accountable for some poor management of the club rather than of the actual team. Um, Barnsley fans booed their team off 
I don't think it'll be the first time the boos ring out around Oakwell this season. Or the last time, sorry. I was struck by the poor defending on each goal. Especially, obviously, the, the, it came from, I think the fourth goal came from trying to play over from the back and then a horrendous touch. Oxford United had a counter-attack, gave away a silly penalty. Cameron Brannigan, of course, converted that penalty. And then I believe it was, well, obviously the second goal, an own goal, fair enough. The ball hits and goes in. You could you can call it poor, that's okay. The third goal then was a disaster again. And I think I watched the game, and I don't mean to keep harping back to the Port Vale game. It reminded me so much of Port Vale's defending in the second half, especially where it just looked like they... I mean, it looked like I was on the pitch. That's how I always think of things. Like, if I got dropped into a professional game, what I would look like, it's often that. Really abhorrent defending for a side that started the season so, so well. We will move on, though, now to a, to a team that... I want to get your guys' take on this before we kind of go through the events of the game. Chris, I'll come to you. Are you have you been surprised with Cambridge United this season and, and how well they've done? I mean, they're as it stands, top of the league on a technicality, I suppose, because Wigan have 10 points, but they're not, because of the points deduction, they're, they're way down the table, but they are top of the league. Yeah, I've been incredibly impressed by them and incredibly surprised by them. They just look incredibly well organised, don't they? And and well drilled and full of confidence now as well. Special men- mention to, to Jane, who I think has been involved in almost every goal they've scored this season as mm. well. He's just, he seems to have kicked on another level this season, but they just look they look like a team that is greater than the sum of their parts. And yeah, to answer your question, just incredibly surprised, um, but in a real positive way, of course. After the game, Joey Barton's interview was, I don't want to say he took a swipe because I don't want to be one of these people that read too much into an interview, but he he took a, a little bit of a, a swipe at Oxford United, or Cambridge United's apologies, style of play, saying that it was incredibly brave of them to to park in their own half at home is what he said in his own words which I thought was an interesting use of the word brave he of course they, they ended up losing Bristol Rovers they beat Charlton Athletic on Tuesday um, which was again Chris touched on earlier it was a we all kind of tipped Charlton Athletic to do great things this season they've had a pretty poor start which we'll get on to eventually but to win to win 2-0 keep a clean sheet as well at home it was a really good win. I've been incredibly impressed. Mark Bonner is clearly a wonderful coach. He's done incredible things at, at, at the Abbey Stadium since he took over. And I would like to think they can continue this excellent form throughout the season, although I, I understand there, there, there will be ups and downs. I just do, I do want to point out a stat. They, of course, uh, referring to Joey Barton, 62, uh, Bristol Rovers had 62% of the ball compared to Cambridge United's 38%. But with that 62% of the ball, they only had seven shots compared to Cambridge's 12. And the XG that I have down, and, and bear in mind when we talk about XG, there are so many different outlets that use XG for this level, but the, the le- it will always fluctuate. And it will always fluctuate because unless you're at a really high level like the Premier League or Champions League, the XG just will fluctuate because I, I can just tell you from experience of working with, you know, Wise Scout Insight, etc., it, it will always fluctuate. So the XGI I have here is 1.53 for Cambridge United, 0.42 for Bristol Rovers. So after the game, the fans weren't really happy. A lot of possession, not really any end product. The 0.42 XG can tell the story of that with 62% of the ball. Not a great result for Bristol Rovers. A wonderful start for Cambridge United. They do sit top. Chris, we'll come to you on Derby. One Fleetwood Town nil. An incredible start for Derby in this game. I thought for 25 minutes they looked excellent. They 
could have had a penalty maybe through Martin Whitecorn, although I only saw one angle of it, so it, it's kind of difficult to tell. They, Martin Whitecorn then had a couple of chances, I suppose, in the first 25 minutes. He eventually did score after a, a shot, I believe, Connor Washington's shot, although maybe it was a pass. It kind of reminded me of like Ryan Giggs's shot in the 99 final with Sheringham tapped home. It was like a shot pass. Martin Waghorn tapped home his second in two games. Talking about Fleetwood, or talking about Derby County, apologies, because I thought for the last hour of the game, the performance subsided a little bit. Maybe you'll have a different opinion on that. No, I agree with you completely. Um, started the game really, really well, and maybe we're putting pay to a few of the fears that we that we mentioned in our in our first episode together. That maybe Derby looked a little bit um, like Lustre, maybe in attacking, or maybe a little bit. Lacking ideas, attacking-wise, uh, that didn't there didn't seem to be any evidence of that whatsoever in the first twenty-five minutes of this game. They they started on fire. Um, the goal came from it was actually it started from a quite a swift counter attack from Fleetwood and Cora Hurahan put in an outstanding tackle to win it back, laid the ball forward, uh, came to Connor Washington on the left flank who cut inside and then def- it definitely was a shot. By the way, it definitely was a shot. Um, Scuffed his shot, but it turned into a, a fantastic path, uh, pass into the path of Martin Waghorn, who's, I think he's exactly the type of centre forward that Derby needed, mm-hmm. to be honest, who, 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 who slotted away to make it 1-0. But from that point, as you mentioned, Derby didn't create a, a huge amount. What they did do, and what they've done in most of their games so far, is, is stop the opposition attacking, particularly stopping the opposition counter-attacking. In the whole match, Fleetwood only had one counter-attack and it actually led to Derby's goal. They didn't have another counter-attack for the whole game. Derby were just excellent at breaking up the play in that regard. Um, mm. I wouldn't be surprised to see Derby County win a lot of games 1-0 this season. I still struggle to see where they're going to score hatfuls of goals. But if they go a goal ahead, they're going to be very, very, very difficult to break down. Well, on that... I know a lot of fans give out about Paul Warren's use of a back three. That was obviously one of the most notable factors of his time at Rotherham United was that back three, and they were very intense a lot of the time. I mean, they had one of the lowest PPDAs, which is passes allowed per defensive action in the championship during his time, meaning they didn't have a lot of the ball really, but it was very much direct and, and you know, you swarmed the opposition, you pressed them really intensely and, he always used a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3, I suppose, as well at times. For that, wing-backs has always been sort of a, a Paul Warren factor. But a lot of fans have been given out about the, the, the back four this or the back three this season, Chris. Sorry, apologies. Do you share their sentiment that maybe a back four will allow you to be more attacking? I, I, think, I think formations don't really tell a team's style of play. I don't, I, but I'd like to get your take on that. Do you think a, a back four with just two central defenders would would it would 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 open up their attacking fluidity and, and make them an incredible attacking side? Well, I, uh, with that, it's impossible to give a straight answer. The answer is it depends, isn't it? Really. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit horses for courses. I think it depends on two two things. It depends on the opposition's system and also game state as well. Um, so. I, I'm a bit of a fan of a back three. I think it offers, certainly at this level, it offers a lot more solidity defensively mm-hmm. than uh, than a back four, especially if the kind of traditional flying wing backs of the maybe or flying full backs of the last maybe 10 years or so has been really, really fashionable. So I know at the elite level, it's, it's 
a back four, it's much more fashionable now for the, doing fullbacks to invert into midfield and, and keeping the wingers high. I don't know if they have if they necessarily have the, the squad makeup to do that, that sort of thing. I think that the squad is very much built as a back three squad with wing with, with very, very attacking wing backs. The only way that they could do this would be to play a back four, have the same personnel at wing backs of Forsyth and and uh oh, I forget his name, the guy that plays right Mandy's Lang, who plays right wing back at the moment. Still play them as fullbacks in almost the same roles that they're playing now. But that's going to leave them incredibly susceptible on the counter-attack. It's going to leave them a rest defensive, just 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 two two central and one in front in Hurrahan. And I don't think Paul Warren's going to enjoy that very much, to be honest, considering how how strong Derby are and how strong all Paul Warren signs are mm-hmm. out of possession. Um, so I, I can kind of see the point. I see where, where the Derby fans are coming from, considering that they're going to expect to have the majority of the play in the most games. They're going to expect to be the favourites for most games and maybe take expect to take games to their opposition, then you can expect maybe the opposition to sit a little bit deeper, not press quite so high. I, I kind of see the point, but I think that can, it can probably cause more problems than it really solves for Derby, in my opinion. I fully agree, and I also think that there's this terrible narrative that gets thrown around in football fandom or just online discussions, really, or discourse, that a back three or a back five means defensive football. It's not really, this isn't, we're not talking about, you know, 1970s Trapattoni Juventus here or, or you know Catanazio it's just you know your style of play matters more than a, a formation you can play a back three and be and be you know attacking you can play a back four I always say look at a 4-3-3 that Pep Guardiola uses versus Jose Mourinho the two very different styles same formation two very different styles Gary I'll come on to you for the next game Northampton Town won Peterborough United nil the first win for Northampton Town this season. It was a an interesting goal. A 90, 90th minute Mitch Pinnock winner. Talk to me about the goal before we discuss Peterborough United's goal scoring woes and whether they were a bit unfortunate not to pick up at least a point away from home. But he's just trying to pump it back into the mixer, isn't he? In the 90th minute, I mean, that, that's what he's doing. You know, at the, at the end of the day, it's look. Six Fields, Lincoln City fans know isn't an easy place to go when they get their back up. And they were 2-0 down in midweek with, with 12 minutes of mm-hmm. normal time or 20 minutes of plus injury time left. Um, and they've, they've got real momentum behind them, Northampton Town. So when it gets to the final minute of a, a local derby against Peterborough United, the fans are behind them. Pinnock just wants to put it in the mixer. They've got some decent centre-forwards. They've got some big lads there. That's what he's done, and you know, I, I actually feel a little bit for for Peterborough because I think the keeper's made a bit of a hash of it as well. If I'm honest, he, he's almost like stepped back and not realised where he is, and it's gone over the line. Um, so yeah, it was a fluke goal. Look, let's not let's not make that let that mask the the actual game itself. XG and like you said, XG is variable. XG is not a stat. XG is mm-hmm. an opinion. Um, and it, it's an opinion based on you know what happens on the field. Northampton's zero point one eight, uh, posh one point seven two. That's the Y scout. So this game should realistically be one or two nil to posh. And absolutely watching it back, um, Poku really liked the look of him for posh. He was causing problems every time he got on the ball. Uh, they missed a lot of chances, but Northampton were resolute and. Lincoln fans saw it Tuesday night, and we've seen it again here. They've now taken four points from two games. Uh, they are good out of possession. They work particularly hard, but they're 
there's this there was this con- preconception certainly kind of a week or two ago from fans who don't know too much about League One that maybe they were going to be a little bit long, maybe they were going to be a little bit aggressive. They were just really organised, um, and and yeah, P- Posh did get through once or twice. And do you know what? You could play this game ten times, and Peterborough would win it eight times out of mm-hmm. ten. That that's fact. There were so many opportunities, and they had a goal ruled out. It was offside, and you know there's, there's not a lot of arguments, but um, it's a win that Northampton will kind of come away from and go. Do you know what? We were actually quite fortunate to get that, and they'll probably feel it was justification for Tuesday night when they really did deserve three points and could only take a point in the last minute of the game. So big, big win for them. Local derby, I think it will give them more momentum going forward now. I think they had a tough start. The opening two games were challenging for them. They've shown me over the last week that they've got enough at the end of this season to be tucked in 12th, 14th, no problems at all. Posh, plethora of talent. They've got They've got the sort of squad that 90% of League One clubs would embrace. I'm not convinced they've got the right manager. He's already called out Tishmanga. He's three games, four games into the season. He's already called him out. Ferguson was lashing out about them not taking their chances. They've had a great start to the season. He's not a good man manager. He's not his man. He's not his um, his father. And I think all Peterborough fans will just be happy looking at League Two and seeing well, Grant McCann's lost again, so he'll soon be sacked. So they can bring him back in, can't they? Like they they always seem to do. Can I share a personal gripe on this podcast? I re- it really bothers me when when posh fans call Darren Ferguson Fergie. I don't know why. I feel like you there's a certain right you have to he has to earn to get that name. Fergie is one man. I or or, or it could be a, a model slash singer as well. But also yeah. But in football terms, it's it's you know D Fergie, and it kind of annoys me when they call him that. Chris, I don't want to throw you under the bus here, Rita, but you were at Six Fields, I believe, on Tuesday. I was. Yes. How were you impressed by Northampton Town? Very much so. Yeah, very much so. They definitely deserved all three points. Mm. They were excellent out of possession. They actually created a lot more opportunities on Tuesday than they were able to on Saturday against Posh as well. Uh, just really impressed with them, to be honest. They, they felt very, very hard done by on Tuesday not, not to get the three points. But the manner of nicking a point in the end, because it was a, pretty much the last kick of the game, it feels like you've won the game, even though you've only got a point gets you off the ground. And I imagine there's, there's not many better situations other than that being a last-minute winner to take into a derby game on a Saturday. And, but yeah, I'm with Gary, really. I think Hampton Town fans would be thinking they, they earned that, really. They earned that three points on yeah. Saturday against Peterborough because they missed out on a deserved three on Tuesday. So, yeah, they're, they're fine. I, I had Northampton down to struggle this season on the evidence that I've seen so far. Not a chance. Northampton Town fans will be very happy to hear that. We will move on now, though, to another really surprising result. Charlton Athletic 2, Port Vale 3. Probably one of the most, if not the most, impressive results of the weekend, apart from maybe Northampton Town's result or Wigan's 4-0 trouncing of, of Bolton. I shared the stat earlier because I couldn't help myself. I, I had left it on the sheet for, for now, but I was too excited. I had to share it. Port Vale are above Barnsley. Since that 7-0 battering, they have three wins and one draw. This was their first away win since January 1st. Any guesses on who the team was? Barnsley. Anyone? Forest Green Rovers, because everyone beat them last season. <laughs> but <laughs> Alfie May opened the scoring for the Addicts' first goal for the club. It was a 
thunderous penalty straight down the middle. Then there was two goals and just over a minute, I believe. James Wilson, former Manchester United Academy graduate, would have would have an excellent glancing header from an Ethan Chislett cross. Then Chislett himself scored. And then I thought, and I, you guys can contribute and say I was wrong. That's completely fine. I thought Charlton looked good for an equaliser eventually. They had a lot of opportunities. I mean, there was one chance I remember where I feel like the ball went by two players as they slid in and it just missed both of them. They had a lot of opportunities. They couldn't equalise. They eventually did. And then in the 87th minute, of course, Funzo Ojo scored to, to, to win the game 3-2. This is four straight defeats for Charlton now in all competitions. Not a great look. Where does he go from here, Chris? <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a really good point, though. Let's, let's, let's try and get back on the track, get back on the wagon. Um, we mentioned pre-season that, that Charlton had an incredibly strong squad and there were question marks over Holden. That was the big question mark. Not necessarily saying that he's a negative, he's just unproven, isn't he? And mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe there's a little bit of evidence there. I do feel Charlton were unlucky to lose this game, though. I think they deserve something out of it, definitely. Um, it's an interesting one. Again, because it's so early in the season, the transfer window is still open. There are so many question marks. There are so many clubs. You know, The league table will look completely different this time next month. But it's definitely not the start that Charlton Athletic would have hoped for. Certainly after getting that that one 0 win on the first game of the season, it was it wasn't the most um, entertaining of first uh, of wins. It wasn't mm. the most action packed of, of first games. It had a very first game of the season feel. But you get that win, you get that first that you get a clean sheet, a one 0 win. Right, what a springboard that can be to have a great start to the season. It just hasn't happened for them so far. I have I interviewed Dean Holden nearly a year ago. I believe it was October last year. He gave me an, almost an hour and a half of his time. He was he, he wasn't he was unemployed, I should say, at the time or on a sabbatical. I think coaches prefer to use. He didn't have a job at the time. He was an incredibly nice guy. He, he spoke so, in such detail about his his own tactical philosophy for one, and I always appreciated that. But I I I just feel at times the same thing happened at Bristol City. I think maybe he was a bit unfortunate to get dismissed at Bristol City. I felt at times they were or his tactics, I should say, leave them a little open. I think that certainly came through this weekend against Port Vale. I mean, Port Vale aren't, aren't the, you know, they, they've had some great results recently, but to concede three goals at home to a side that were thumped 7-0 only two weeks ago is quite surprising. Do you have some final thoughts on that, Chris? Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a tactics man, I think, like like you are, Adam. So, so I, I enjoy those sort of conversations. And when I always like to take an interest in managers who, have a real detailed kind of tactical philosophy. It seems quite idealistic, though, to, to kind of break football down into those terms. Mm-hmm. You know, I think as as a tactics nerd as you and I are, we maybe put a little bit too much pressure and focus, not uh, maybe importance on on those numbers as we discussed in the in the derby game. Really, um, those systems are there to help you win games of football, but ultimately it's about winning. And you can have the most you know an ideal formation or tactical out, output or approach in your mind. But if it's not working in the game, do you have the decisiveness and the adaptability to make a change in game? Or to maybe adapt the whole, you know, tweak the philosophy to cater for the players, to cater for the game state, to cater for the opposition. Um, uh, this is this is kind of that that balancing act that all managers have to have to have to kind of work with, isn't it? And it's 
I think let's compare it to the best Pep Guardiola. You know, he's he's pigeonholed for so many years about tiki taka four three three. Well, they've been mm. four four two out of possession. They've played a three, almost like a WM shape that you know, going back to the early nineteen hundreds sort of system recently. And he just seems to be one step ahead all the time. And you know, if someone like Pep Guardiola, who clearly has some tactical ideals, is able to tweak his system and to, to adapt his system, then maybe having that real idealistic kind of nature of your of your tactical output is going to be a little bit restrictive at times, maybe. Mm. Or maybe we're just being really harsh and it's early in the season and they just need them some more time on the training pitch for everything just to just to click and drill, drill down a little bit. Well maybe we are being too too harsh, but without spending too much more time on this game, one thing about Dean Holden's, I suppose, his, his tactical his his tactical philosophy that he or, or you know tactics in his side that he always has are those deep runs from central midfield. He loves his central midfielders to make those runs in behind. It's so reminiscent of. I know it sounds like a strange comparison. It reminds me of Andrea Pirlo's Juventus. And what happened was they would make the where it be Adrian Rabiot would make those deep runs in behind when they lose the ball. You're down. You you have less a man in midfield because your central midfielder has now made a run behind or you know behind your striker. So then they lose the ball. They're caught on the break. And again, I'm not a, I'm not a head coach in League One, so I'm not here to 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 slag off Dean Holden. I just think the same thing happened to Bristol City as well, and then we're seeing this sort of similar stuff happen at Charlton, where they're caught out on the break quite a lot when they shouldn't be. Again, as I said, Port Vale have had some incredible results lately, but. To concede three at home against Port Vale is really disappointing. And to lose four straight games now. Gary, apologies, I felt, I felt like you've been out in the cold now for the last couple of minutes. I'll bring you back into the fold now. The, 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 another man, I, I, not to blow smoke up my back, so another man I've interviewed is Paul Simpson, who I also I, I love. Paul's an incredible guy, but they haven't had a great start to the season. Surprisingly, Wigan drew to them as Wigan's only... The only game Wigan didn't win was against Carlisle, surprisingly, at Brunton Park. Another defeat yesterday against Exeter. 2-0. Not, not a great performance defensively or offensively. I, I mean, I don't want to say everything was bad, but they didn't really look like scoring. And they kind of looked not great at the back. Where, I mean, what the Carlisle, Carlisle United need to do to improve? I think they just need to settle if i'm honest um and i think it's about acclimatizing and when you come up out of league two um it seems to me there's almost like two states you either settle like snow which is what stevenage have done which is what you know many teams have done over the uh, the course of the last couple of um, seasons or um you do what carlisle have done or you do what forest green did last season and, and you come in and you struggle a little bit um and like exit city last season were, were, were the were the former you know they settled really well they've really surprised me um, if I'm honest, Exeter City, uh, I thought that they were going to be struggling, as I did, as, you know, as we did with Cambridge as well. So, um, you know, kudos to them first of all. I think Paul Simpson's a good enough coach to make sure that Carlisle United stay out of the bottom four, out of the bottom eight. I'm not so sure. On yesterday's showing, I think there are there are some concerns. Correctly, as you point out, I think defensively they they looked a little bit naive at times. I think, um, yeah, th there's work to do there. And look. You know, we've been talking about Northampton settled well, nothing to worry about. We've been talking about other teams um, who we know are going to be well away from the from the bottom kind of three or four. Port Vale, who we've just been talking about, actually really worried us on the opening day. But Andy Crosby Lakes has made them look solid. He's made them look like they're going to adjust nicely. 
it just might take a little bit of time for Carlisle. The balancing act is, will he have the time to be able to do that? That's the question. Will the fans and will the board and will everything allow him to continue to have performances like yesterday while they settle? Give him time. I think they'll be all right. Pull the trigger too early. You'll have a forest green situation. Mm-hmm. I agree. Chris, just on Exeter and their defensive setup, really, I think they've conceded one goal this season. A lot of their results have been built on a really strong defence. Talk to me about Gary Caldwell's side, because they've had a, a solid start this season. I believe they're sitting in, tw- in seventh at the moment, which is a pretty solid start. Yeah, really, really hard to beat, aren't they? Very, very solid out of possession. Uh, interestingly, in this game, yeah, you mentioned PPDA as a, as a, 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 a statistic that you pay close attention to and it's a really good way of dating kind of pressing or a team's inability to keep the ball at least um so exeter's ppda was was 8.3 so they only allowed eight passes for for carlisle before they went back effectively that's aggressive you know that's 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 front foot defending and to if that's replicated in, in other games which I, I imagine it has it certainly was against wickham and to only concede one goal and that was a, a one nil away at portsmouth at mm. portsmouth which Again, another team that we can expect to be dominant at home, and they, they only scrape past Exeter one nil. It's yeah. If, if Exeter are going to be have that kind of blueprint of being incredibly difficult to beat, then you're going to have a you're going to have a good season. You know, there were some again some question marks over Gary Caldwell at the start of the season, weren't there? But he's he's answering those those critics brilliantly at the moment. A special mention, a couple of special mentions in this game, really. Just firstly, it's I know you and I. All, all three of us are kind of into the statistics and the factual nature of football. But there are some, always some intangibles, aren't there? And when the away supporters and when your team has to do a 700-mile round trip, there's not many... T- I don't know about them. I haven't looked into this, but it just seems to me you often find it's the away team that, that comes out on your top. It's almost like you have that just a little bit of extra something because you've put so much time and effort. Think about Plymouth, the amount, how, how, the amount of away trips mm-hmm. they have as well. But, you know... From Exeter up to Carlisle, seven hundred mile round trip, three over three hundred um, away fans there as well, which is really really impressive. And also a mention to Ryan Trevitt, who's got his first ever senior goal. So congratulations to him. To be honest, though, statistically, uh, bar the most important statistic being the goal, the scoreline, almost everything else was pretty almost even, even, even yeah. pretty even. I couldn't find a huge amount of difference in almost any metric. To be honest. Um, Carlisle maybe would find themselves a little bit hard done by not to score a goal, just with a cumulative extra. They had 13 shots, six on target. Not a lot clear cut, but there's enough half chances there to maybe scrape something, whereas Exeter's XG was just one. Um, but once you go a goal up away from home with 20 minutes remaining, you're going to shut up shop and, and and be hard to beat. And they've obviously got that in, in abundance, really, haven't they? Away days are great, especially when your striker bags a last-minute winner but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And do you know what? The same goes for McDonald's. Why not maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery? Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
It's time to start planning your next holiday adventure. Whether you're traveling to Germany for the Euros or taking your partner or kids in a much-needed break to the Balearic Islands, downloading NordVPN is a must. NordVPN allows you to watch all sporting events, TV shows, and films which are not available in your region by switching your location in just a click to one which is showing the content. So if you're away with the family and don't want to miss any of the action from your favorite EFL team, then NordVPN is the service for you. NordVPN also acts as your cyber bodyguard whilst online by protecting your personal data and other sensitive information like card details and passwords from falling into the wrong hands for just the price of one cup of coffee per month and can be used across six, yes, six different devices. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash reallyfl. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee and you'll help support our podcast too. The link is in the podcast episode description box. So a massive thank you to NordVPN for supporting this podcast and you can too by going to nordvpn.com forward slash reallyfl to get a discount. The link is in the description. Gary, Shrewsbury Town nil, Lincoln City won Eden Hamilton with the goal there, another former Manchester United Academy graduate that was for the weekend, which is more than any other side. Fun fact that no one cares about bar me. Talk to me about this game. What, what, what went right for Lincoln after that result in midweek, which we, we already spoke about, Northampton Town were pretty pretty solid, maybe could have got the three points there. They ended up getting a deserved, or not deserved, but it was made up for them this, this weekend. But it was a win for Lincoln. Talk to me about what, what, what they got right. And what still needs to be improved, in your opinion? There's quite a bit that still needs to be improved, if I'm honest. Um, Link have taken four points from two games without really impressing in either of those, bar probably a 25-minute spell against Northampton. Um, this was a tough game. It was a tough game to watch. I watched the full 90 minutes. It was awful conditions. Um, there was a swirling wind. It was it was scrappy. Shrewsbury are clearly a team work in progress and, and they're at the lower end of the work in progress rather than the higher end. So much of their team still is very reminiscent of Steve Cottrell's side and yet they're trying to move in a new direction. They've still got Udo, they've still got Bowman, it's still Shipley, it's still Bayliss. It's very, very kind of similar. Um what I just want to make want to make a point of before I talk about the game is actually Shrewsbury Town really helped Lincoln City yesterday because Danny Mandroyu um, injured himself on Friday in training uh, and Shrewsbury's uh, medical team injected him uh, to allow him to play the game, which, you know, there's not very many teams, I think, that would do that. So maximum respect to Shrewsbury. They're a great little club. Um, XG, Shrewsbury probably deserved to win 1.23 to 0.97. So it was literally just a game of few chances um, and when a chance did occur, it, uh, Shrewsbury didn't take it. And when it popped up for Lincoln, they did take it. It was five shots on goal, two for Shrewsbury, three for Lincoln. Lucas Jensen pulled off a really big save for Lincoln early doors. Uh, Taylor Perry uh, probably should have squared it to Ryan Bowman. If I'm a winger, I'm not squaring it to Bowman because he's got a laid-off mm. foot. So Perry has a go at himself. Jensen saves it. And then at the other end, City have got a decent, a decent chance from Hamilton. A um, little bit relentless. There was a big change on 60 minutes. Shrewsbury always play 3-5-2. We've just been talking about three at the back and all that sort of stuff. Shrewsbury, you know almost what you're going to get. Three at the back, they're going to be good in midfield, they're going to be compact. Lincoln went 3-4-3. Didn't really deal with the with the Shrewsbury. It wasn't matched up man for man. Shrewsbury had the best of the game. 60 minutes, Mark Kennedy made the change, changed the complexion of the game. That's where Lincoln's best chances came from. Um, so, look, 
Again, I said yeah, Northampton, Peterborough, you play that game 10 times. Northampton um, lose it eight times out of 10. Lincoln Shrewsbury yesterday, you play that 10 times, nine times out of 10, that's a nil-nil draw and, and nobody's managed to drag it out for five minutes like I just have. <laughs> I agree. I think even, uh, I think there was just so few chances, really. I don't want to say so few chances, so few quality chances. There were so many times I was watching even Shrewsbury Town's opportunities and they were kind of half volleys or, or half chances outside the box and they were getting blazed over the bar and I thought, yeah, okay, it probably adds up your XG at the end of the game. But again, it's not really, you know, not really quality. It's not a quality chance. That's why they had more shots and probably a higher XG. Well, it was on, on my notice as a higher XG, but Chances weren't really great. We will move on to a side, though, that not a surprising result, I suppose. There was kind of an event early in the game which caused the incident or, or, or the help, the scoreline, I should say. Stevenage have now lost their 100% record at the start of the season. Reading 2, Stevenage nil. What a brilliant result for Ruben Sellers' side. That's two straight wins for them now. I think that Nathan Thompson early red card kind of held things. What Before I, I want to go through the events of the game, but can I just, Chris, I'll come to it. Can I ask you your opinion on the red card or the, the incident? Do you think it was unlucky? He seemed to kind of fall over himself as well. Yeah, I think but, it's, I think it's a bit harsh. If I'm honest, I think it's a bit harsh and it really did change the game significantly. Reading were Massively on top after that, as you'd expect, but but they it really had an, an an impact on the game, and it was only twenty odd minutes into the game as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, 20, I, 22 I, minutes. Yeah, if I was Steve Evans, I'd be pretty furious about that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Gary, you don't look uh, you don't look too pleased with 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 the the red card. Are, are you in agreement or not? Oh, I absolutely don't care. I just don't like Steve Evans. If a decision, if a decision goes against him, I'm a, I'm I'm cool with that. Um, you know, when I say I've got history with Steve Evans, not me personally, but as a football fan, you know, I I remember the Dagenham and Boston thing. I remember you know Steve Evans' history is long and it's checkered. Uh, and when I hear him moaning about a decision going against him, I just absolutely think, do you know what? That referee's just gone up in my estimations. I've added him to my Christmas. I don't even know what the referee's name is. Someone tell me the referee. Let me know. I'll put him on my Christmas card list. <laughs> Reading ended up winning the game 2-0. It was an incredibly dominant display. I mean, some possession stats had them down at 71, others had 72. It's not that that matters much anyway. They had 20 shots, though. The the player that scored a brace, I've rehearsed about 100 times in my head, I to say a second name. I've seen a lot of players, <laughs> a lot of people call him Kelvin. So maybe I'll just stick with Kelvin to avoid being disrespectful. It's a, it's a wonderful second name. It's just not one that I can comprehend in my own mind. I have Two pronunciations written down. I actually feel it's maybe just best for me not to pronounce it. But Kelvin scored two goals and he could have scored three. He was offside for a third and he did have the ball in the net. And he was unfortunately offside. As I said, Stephen have won every game until now. And obviously the early red card didn't help. What I will say, though, is Reading have had a relatively tough week. They had a, another point seduction on Wednesday for failure to pay wages and time. But it didn't seem to affect them. Two straight wins. They looked amazing yesterday although again it was 10 men for the guts of 70 minutes but they still dominated the game they're, they're they they look as though they're 
really understanding Ruben Sellers' style of play finally. They're not scoring many goals. They've only scored a handful of goals so far this season in four games. I believe they've scored three. I think I believe they scored three goals this season and they've only conceded a handful as well. But uh, Charlie Savage, shout out to him. He looks great in midfield. He he got signed by Forest Green Rovers last season on loan and it wasn't a wonderful move. The sporting director at the time was... I'm afraid of what I can say here. He was dismissed because of he bought a load of young players that maybe shouldn't have, or that that maybe weren't ready for League One football. And Charlie Savage was one of them, but he doesn't look out of place now. He looks pretty good in midfield. He looks pretty solid. Great win for Reading, especially after the Wednesday points deduction. The next game, though, a team that have been a little bit of a snooze fest lately, Chris. Blackpool nil, Leighton Orient nil. Leighton Orient, in my opinion, I'd love to get your take, probably had the better chances to win the game. Blackpool toured nil all draw in a row. They're unbeaten, but they're not winning. Talk to me about Blackpool firstly before we get on to Leighton Orient. Well, they haven't considered a goal yet this season. So I think you've got to put a positive spin on that. Three nil nils in a row, haven't scored in three. It's you know it's amazing. If, we, if, we have, if we have a if we have a, a run of draws, you know whether your glass is half full or your glass is half, half empty will will dictate kind of your out your outlook on that. But so early in the season, if you if you're being hard to beat, similar to Exeter, if you're really really hard to beat, you're going to be in with a shout. You know you're only going to score one goal to win to win a game is a good place to be. Um, but you're right, Orient did have the better of the chances. Though I think I'd be hard pressed to think either team deserved to win the game. To be honest, um, good goalkeeping in both ends as well. I think the, the two the two biggest chances um, were pulled up by two good saves. Grimshaw in the Blackpool goal made a good save and a, a, a smart double save from Howes in the Orient goal. Big shoots to fill as a big sh- uh, boots or gloves to fill as well with Lawrence Vigor, who's been a, a real impressive keeper um, for Leighton Orient and getting his move to the Premier League. To sit on the bench, of course, in the Premier League, but still, I moved to the Premier League nonetheless. He's big, big, big boots to fill, really. He was, he was a very kind of elite style goalkeeper playing in League Two last season in that kind of his ball playing ability and his range of passing. Um, but somehow, I think it's Sam, Howes, whoever it was in goal. Great double save to keep the game at 0 0. Yeah, in, interesting one from Blackpool perspective. It, it depends how you look at it, doesn't it? Um, I think so early in the season, I'd be, I'd be tempted to see the positives in this one. But there's no denying that they are probably missing some of the the big hitters that they lost in the summer. Of course, Jerry Yates been 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 a big one there. It's not it's not just about the the centre forward. Of course, it's about chance creation as well, isn't it? But I think Blackpool will be okay. There's just something about Blackpool and Neil Critchley. But three nil nil draws in a row um, is is interesting. I don't think you see that very often. But yeah, they've yet to concede a goal, so I think that's pretty impressive. My notes say Orient first point of the season. Uh, game for the goalkeepers and Blackpool boring. Is that a fair summary? <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, move on. Next. <laughs> Next is another <laughs> nil-all draw. We're kind of going on like a match of the day style format here where we, we don't tell the viewers, but we put the we put the nil-all draws at the end. What I This is a game actually I wanted to discuss because nothing really happened in the game from a footballing perspective. I am, of course, talking about the game of Fratton Park between Portsmouth and Cheltenham Town. It finished nil all. What I will say before we get on to the obvious mind-boggling incident in the game, 
Cheltenham Town haven't scored a goal this season. Gary, before we get on to the the, the refereeing debacle, Cheltenham, are re- Cheltenham Town are really missing Alfie May, aren't they? Yeah, they're in trouble. Um, I think they're in trouble. Look, they were they were robust against Portsmouth, but again, I'm going to refer to XG, and I think I've done it for every single one of the games that um, that I've covered, so to speak. Uh, Cheltenham 0.53, which was an accumulation of bits and bobs rather than decent chances. Portsmouth 2.17. Make no mistake, Portsmouth should have won this game. Uh, a Regan Paul header came off the inside of the post back to the goalkeeper, which which should have made it 1-0. Conor Ogilvy's fired over when you know, it seemed easier to actually put it on target than, than put it up into the stands. 15 shots from Portsmouth, 5 on target. So, yes, it was a 0-0 draw. Um, and, yes, Cheltenham did have shots, but nothing that I thought was ever going to trouble um, Portsmouth backline. There was only ever one winner. Um, Cheltenham were 3-4-3. Then obviously there was an awful lot of injury time and they went to a 5-3-2. So they they were happy with the point, you know, 20 minutes from the end of this game. Um, They were a team I tipped to go down. Okay, look, I also tipped Cambridge to struggle and that's not coming to pass at the moment. Um, Last season, as I've already mentioned, Forest Green got off to a bad start and it got worse from there and they were cut adrift. Unless Cheltenham finds something absolutely magnificent, and I'm not talking about my uh, our podcast co-host Chris here in terms of magnificent, I'm talking about serious <laughs> signings. Um, you know, what we got 10 days left to the end of the transfer window. They're, they're in trouble. They are in trouble. And they'll take that point. Wade Elliott was praising them, saying it's a great point, et cetera, et cetera. It is a good point, but it's only a good point if you're backing it up by beating teams in and around you. Um, and I think they've already lost to Shrewsbury, who were average yesterday. I think it's going to be a long, hard season for Robins fans on the on the basis of that performance, mm-hmm. even though they got a point. Sorry, Chris, you... Sorry, I no, I was, I was just, oh, sorry. Oh, no, that wasn't that wasn't that. But I will, I will. I, I was going to throw to you as well. You put, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I don't know what I was doing. No, I did it. Um, please, sir, can I speak? I said, um, I think it's just a, a point to make with Cheltenham. They're in a difficult spot because pretty much the whole squad and the whole management team who got them promoted into League One has left the club. You know, even behind you know the backroom staff have gone to Shrewsbury this summer. There's, there's no one left. Just in terms of that search of a little bit of an identity, I think is, is going to be a challenge for them. And yeah, I think we all, you know, no one wants to see a team struggling. No one wants to see a team struggling mm. to get out of second gear. But yeah, I, I think if, you, if you're kind of looking at all the pieces of the jigsaw together, Cheltenham probably are missing the most pieces at the moment. Well, I do want to talk about the incident that happened at Fratton Park and it kind of always reminds me of Harry Redknapp's story where he talks about, I think it was in the 90s when he was West Ham manager and they had a pre-season game and there was a fan behind them giving it all this in the stands and he brought him, he brought him on as a sub in the second half. This kind of reminds me of that. Gary, in all your years watching football, has this ever, I mean, has anything like this ever happened? A fan ran on to run the line. I've, Never known anything like it at all. You know, I think there was 26 additional minutes because of it. So I think the linesman got injured. Stephen Brown, I think, was the fourth official. He then picked up the the linesman duty and then he was injured as well. So they put a call out uh, and a fan comes on from what they believe is the Portsmouth end um, to run the line. Now, it's a great story. okay, And, and, you know, fair play. It's it, it hasn't finished in a controversial manner. 
what if that fan was a Portsmouth fan and he's flagged a Cheltenham goal offside that's not offside in the final 10 minutes? I don't think it was the right thing to do. I don't think... I think it's set a dangerous precedent where they've gone, can we continue the game? Let's get a guy out. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that should happen. I think there should be a protocol in place for that. I think it was half time when it happened. I think they should have come back and played the second half at another time. Or I, I'm just... It didn't. It didn't matter because Cheltenham didn't get in a position where they were ever going to be offside. I don't think the linesman had a lot to actually flag for. Um, but yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm just a party pooper. Maybe everyone's kind of going, "Oh, it's great for him," and but I'm not so sure. No, it all felt a bit Sunday leaguey, where you know you get your dad to do the to run the line. It felt a bit. It just felt a bit strange. But I will say. I'm not playing devil's advocate, I suppose on the, the flip side, Wade Elliott said after the game, and I quote, he was the best official we've had this year, is, is what he said about Julian Browning. That's a reflection on League One officials in general. He's probably already had Seb Stockbridge and uh, Will Finney and John Busby. So, Well, this is what I thought. I would love to know how much of the truth was actually behind that statement. I believe he, he believed a lot of what he said. The last game of the weekend is another goalless draw between Wickham Wanderers and Burton Albion. Burton Albion again, another team in, in, in trouble. They really don't look good. They they do not look like scoring and they only look like conceding. Massive shout out to Max Crocombe who, who was outstanding in this game. Genuinely one of the best goalkeeping performances of the season so far. It, it will be extremely hard to top that. He was unbelievable. Burton Albion seemed to do this almost Sunderland type great escape when they used to do it in the Premier League every single season first it was Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank two years ago and then it was it was Dino and now it looks as though they can't win a game or to, to save their lives at the moment Burton Albion and I wonder how long that will go on before they try and 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 get a new guy in who can do the great escape I also wonder how long you can do that before you eventually stop look at Sunderland they did it for, let's be honest, four, four years, three, four years at least. It eventually caught up on them and then they suffered one of the worst seasons in Premier League history under David Moyes. I do worry for them in 35% of the ball, only seven shots, three on target. The XGI I have written down here is 0 0.38. I mean, that's, it's not great. They didn't look like for seven shots, 0 0.38 XG. It's, it's, just, it's just poor and they only look like conceding. I mean, it, it, it was... Not, it was a really just poor performance. Only for Max Crocombe and goal, they, they managed to claw a point away from the game. Wickham Wanderers, though, were another side who had a bit of a bit of a horrendous, not a horrendous start, but they had a poor start to the season. Any they were hammered in their opening game. They're picking up some points recently. It says four points from six for the hosts after the first two games of the season, which they lost. This was Burton Albion's fourth point of the season. And as I said, very fortunate to get it, I believe, anyway. Do you guys have any thoughts on that, Chris? Yeah, I think one thing to mention on Burton, and I agree with you in the similarities between them and Sunderland, because they almost put themselves in that situation where they have to have that great escape. But I think the similarity here between them and, and Cheltenham in terms of where, they, where they've both clubs on now, not in terms of where they have been historically, but where they are now, in that we'll be searching for that little bit of identity, because for the last three transfer windows, possibly more, just the squad churn at Burton and Albion has been huge. You know, the amount of players that have come come and left that football club in the last year and a half has been has been huge. It's like a revolving door. It's mm -hmm. going to be incredibly difficult to generate a level of consistency and continuity there. You know, Gary mentioned 
maybe Shrewsbury are a little bit the opposite of that at the moment. Maybe they haven't they haven't had the opportunity to to mix things up or, or progress too much. But you know, you want to find that happy medium. And I just wonder is how how much of their poor start to this season and last season is attributed to the fact that they've they've effectively got a brand new squad both summers. Um, and and Wickham will be will be disappointed not to take three points out of this for that reason. Gary, you have some thoughts on that? I do. I think one thing you've got to factor into this is that Cole Stockton's out at the moment. And I think that he was, um, you know, he was, was kind of a, a guiding light for them. They started with Mustafa Carriol up front, who like, I'm, I'm going to call him yesterday's man, but it wasn't yesterday. It was three days ago, man. Um, you know, I remember him kind of being a, a wonder kid in about 2009 or 10. Um, I... When I say I'm concerned, I'm not because I don't care. Um, but I'm concerned for both <laughs> of these teams uh, in a way. They're, they're not my team. They're not my team. So at the end of the day, when I say I'm concerned about them, it's not like a deep-seated concern. Um, but I, I am concerned for Burton because, as you say, they are perennial strugglers and then they turn it around at Christmas and they fire back up the league mm-hmm. and they change their manager. Um, but if you keep doing that, it does catch you up. Rochdale, you know, always escaping eventually gone through the trapdoor and look where they are now um afc wimbledon always on the cusp eventually go down you know unless there's a real upward trajectory one season so all of a sudden you know you're not starting badly one season some sign of progression but there isn't for me a high squad churn is uh, an example of always trying to just paper over the cracks you never actually build in you'll go in all right we can fix this 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 and this and then it all starts again all right well we'll start this 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 and this and you look at their team okay sam hughes Probably, you know, a player who's been there for a while in terms of Burton kind of years. They're like dog years, aren't they? Um, Joe Powell, another one who's been there for a while. John Brayford. Outside of that, yeah, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Wickham are not a good side at the moment, by the way. And they will be. They'll they'll come good and they'll finish mid-table and they'll be, you know. But for me, Burton, again, I as a Lincoln City fan, I wish we were playing them next week or the week after because I think it's a good time to get them under your belt. I agree. And with that, we will wrap up the podcast. Gary, thank you so much for coming on. What's your plans for this weekend? Um, well, the weekend's nearly over, so uh, I haven't got... Oh, with the that. week, sorry. The week, yeah. So I'm, I've actually got jury service coming up. Um, so I've got a week a week at work, and then I've got um, I've got some jury service coming up. And Lincoln City are at home next Saturday. Uh, and I'm actually going to make a quick football point, if I may, because did you know at the moment, six of the top nine teams in League One have only played one game at home. And I think, uh, as a Lincoln fan, bear in mind, we were away in the Cup as well. So we've played, what, five games. We have four away. So, yeah, Blackpool at home next week, a team that don't score and don't concede. I can't wait for another nil-nil draw. Looking forward to it. Like a little spoiler, at the the end of next week's podcast, they'll be last. Chris, (laughs) what about your plans for the week? Well, it's my last week at work before a week off. So it'll be a, a very busy week, followed by a week of enjoying myself, to be honest. And it's also final preparations before um, my Sunday League team. Um, I manage my local Sunday League team. So one more training session before the season kicks off. So much to do. And I'm going to spend the week trying to make my beard less embarrassing. Thank you to everyone for listening and watching the podcast. Please smash a five-star rating on the podcast if you enjoy it. Thank you all for listening and goodbye for now. Bye-bye. Hello?
and welcome to the Real EFL League One podcast, the podcast where we take a look at all the wonderful action that England's third tier has to offer each weekend. It's Gary, Chris and myself back this week to review all the action and what a weekend it was with some incredibly surprising results, some huge talking points and perhaps one of the most fascinating acts of coincidence that we've ever witnessed in our many years combined following the sport. I'm Adam Scully, and I hope you all enjoyed the following episode. If you do, please leave a five-star rating on the podcast platform of your choice. We've seen an upturn in new ratings, so it would be much appreciated if you could drop us a nice little rating to help us grow, especially if your team won this weekend, and even if they didn't do it anyway, it's not my fault. Now, without further ado, let's get into the action, and of course, I won't be on my own to delve through all the weekend's events. I'm joined today by the founder of The Real EFL. Two weeks ago, I used the the, the the adjective wonderful. I have written down Gary, marvelous, magnificent, and beardy. Gary Hutchinson, how are we? Which one do you prefer? Uh, I think you said beardy at the end there, so I'll take that being a, a, a humble man. But uh, no, it's nice to be along. Looking forward to picking over the action. We've got some good games to go over. It's the 90th minute, and all your mates around watching your team on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share box on the go. And you know what? Your mate's already got booked for double dipping. But then late on, you steal in, grab the last nugget and snatch all three points. Perfect. Why not order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app? You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.